independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Jason Mandel of The Coles. Mandel writes Towns Van Zandt-inspired songs for the new millennium, backed by a tasteful and musically mature band. Their new self-titled CD includes guest vocals by Sarah Watkins of Nickel Creek. Welcome to Independence Day, Jason. Thank you, Joe. I'm very, very happy to have you here. Happy to be here. This is kind of the maiden voyage of Independence Day, so thank you very much again on air for being my guinea pig. You're you're welcome. I very much appreciate it. So we've got a little bit of history. We will probably go a little long tonight, and we would also like to... The the Lady Lancers lost, is that correct? Okay, so sorry to hear that Lady Lancers lost. We thought it courteous. Normally the show is on at 7 p.m. every Wednesday night, Pacific Time. Uh, we made a game time decision or an end of game time decision to let the Lady Lancers finish out their game because uh, I'm a basketball fan and even if I wasn't it seemed kind of rude to preempt what they're doing. I mean they've been sweating on the on the floor, working very hard, out sweating there. on the hardwood for the better part of an hour. And you know who am I? You know, no one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see where are we? Uh, it's a beautiful day in Pasadena. This is Jason Mandel from the Coles, and let's play a track. Let's you know we'll get into talking to you here pretty soon, but I want to kind of give people a taste of what you're about musically. This is the first track from the Coles. I'm going to call it an EEP, like an extended extended play. There are seven songs, seven, seven songs recorded in both Texas and out here in California, and this is the track "Bring Your Love Back" by the Coles, and we'll talk with Jason Mandel as soon as this is done. Broken heart 
And that is the Coles here on Lancer Radio. This is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. I'm your host. I will be coming to you every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. and maybe longer tonight. Uh, and my guest tonight is Jason Mendel of the band The Coles. They are a Los Angeles-based band. You are a four-piece-ish? Ish. Depends. Four-piece-ish. Yeah. Four you know, I know these things are very fluid. Um, but in the past, that's kind of been your lineup. Yeah. One guitar, one key, one bass, one drum, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, you know, I can't tell you how much I enjoy this record. It's short. It's seven tracks. I wish it was longer. Um, as a guy involved in radio, a guy involved in music, a guy who's played in bands since longer than I care to admit in, in the public, uh, you know, you so much music comes across my desk, and not all of it is great. Not all of it is fantastic. And I've, I've always been a big fan of what you've done. It's... It's personal. It, it has heart. Um, it looks forward and back at the same time because you know, it, you know, Radiohead. It is not. You know, if you're looking for Jay Z or Radiohead or something that's like super forward thinking, I understand that that's not your thing. But um, so let's you know enough of me talking. I mean, you're here to be my guest. So I've introduced you, Jason Mandela of the Coles. We talked about your band. Uh, my first question: Your music. It's 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 very comfortable. You know, it's a tried and true sound, but you know, technology is all around us. How does technology affect what you do in making music in 2010, 2011, when you made this record? It's a good question. To some degree, it doesn't. I mean, to some degree, uh, most of the music that I've made, you know, with, with musicians that I know and, and, and in, in any case has usually just been the same way that people have been making music. I think since, uh, I don't know, whenever they started recording music, really. Um, I mean, I did a lot of four track recording and, my earlier band and this stuff that on, on the album was, it was all, I think, no, some of it was on tape. Most of it was digital, but uh, it's still a bunch of guys in a room, you know, um, either recording live or doing some overdubs. But um, yeah, it's not that we're not, we're not using a lot of what's out there, what other people are using. I no guess. drum loops. No drum loops. Did you no. use auto tune at all? No, of course not. No. Uh, it, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, technology can hurt you and, or it can help you. And, you know, it's like the old phrase, you can use its power for good or for evil. You know, it's like it, I, I've, in, in sessions that I've produced, I've used auto-tune, but it was more a function of saving time or saving money than it was fixing something I knew we could do. You know, yeah, exactly. So it's it's not like it's it's not it's not all bad. No, but you know, we definitely have shied away from it. And your record again, it sounds very natural. It sounds very real. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's sort of. I mean, that's what I go for. That's what everyone I've been, I play with usually has been going for. It's it's it's. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's old fashioned, but so you know, so be it. That's that's fine with me. Um, so. In terms of this, this you know, these sessions, tell me, tell me the. And I know you did some work in Texas, but tell me where else, you know, where there's seven tracks. Yeah, you, you don't have to go track by track. But sure. Give me, give me, like shoot, shoot, yeah, shoot a couple uh, arrows. Tell me where they're, they're recorded. From, I mean, from a few different places. So we, a couple of them were done in Texas with a producer named Dave Palmer, um, and and both of those have Sarah Watkins, um, formerly of Nickel Creek, now of her own fame. Um, singing back <laughs> she up. was on prairie she's she's like on prairie home companion every other week she's everywhere she's 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 running the the sort of folky alt country world right now um and uh then a couple were recorded in eagle rock in los angeles um at uh just sort of a, a friend family member sort of um house you know band got in the house and he's got some good gear and we kind of did it all live for is the it most like a part. studio studio in his house or is it just something he's kind of because like some guys, and we've we've literally gone to houses once I recorded an album in northern Wisconsin where we took everything we needed 
all the band gear, all the instruments, all the microphones, down to the smallest pick, the big 24-channel console, right. up to a cabin in the woods and recorded for a week and then brought it back down. Right. I mean, was this like something you built in the house or was no. this a studio that was kind of yeah, he, there? Yeah, he's set up for, for like, you know, TV and film kind of recording and, and some of his own recording as well. So he's he's got it all kind of set up. We kind of walked in and... And turned on the mic, so but yeah, it was very much in a living room, you know, in a in a kid's bedroom. In a, we we put an amp in a bathroom and mic'd it in the hallway, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. The old tricks. Yeah, you know who does that to great effect is Buddy Miller. Are you familiar with Buddy Miller? Yeah, sure. He's there's great pictures on his website of his studio, and it's literally like his living room. It's his house. Yeah, you know, and now all it's just instruments top to bottom left to right you know I, I imagine them i imagine them on friday night like buddy and julie sitting down to watch like the wire right. or you know <laughs> or like whatever shows on and like having to find the remote underneath a pile having of ampex tape right exactly yeah. so all right so i know I, I know at one point you had some kind of situation going with chrysalis and but it's a publishing deal is it a record deal it, like, yes, tell me tell me about your deal with them sure yeah they're a publishing company they used to be a record label as well i think jethro tull was their first big artist. Um, I think Huey Lewis was on their label. That, that I think you're right. Um, but at some point, they just became a publishing company. And uh, yeah, they signed me and my my former bandmate. We were a duo. Sutter Zachman is his name. We They signed us to a publishing deal, kind of acting as a record label because they actually spent some money on us and funded some recordings. Um, that whole thing got complicated and didn't quite turn out the way everyone wanted it to. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so now they're sort of... Um, you know, they're sort of supportive uh, and helping me do various things. Um, that, you, do, you, do you still have a deal with Chrysalis then? Yeah. I, I, I think I think if I ever make any money, they'll probably take all of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't. They're, they're great people. They won't. They won't do that. What was that? Peter Stewart. There was a guy named Peter Stewart had a single in the late, like early 90s called Everything Falls Apart. He was a Chicago guy. Yeah. He was on Sony. I bumped into him here in L.A. years and years later because he was selling a bunch of gear. And he, you know, it was funny talking to him because it was just complete happenstance. I answered a, answered a Craigslist ad about gear he was selling, and he wrote back. You know, I saw his email address, right. and I said, "Hey, are you Peter Stewart from the former band Monster from Chicago?" And he's like, "Hell, Joe, how's it going, man?" And uh, I went over to buy a piece of gear and talk to him, and he, he's like, "I, I should check in with him," but he, at the time, he was like, "I'm checking out." You know, he's like, "I've sold." hundreds of thousands of records, you know, I'm not sure that he ever went platinum, but he's like, I was well known. I was on adult contemporary radio and I have fans, women who follow me around. And he's like, I, he showed me a sheet from Sony. He's like, this is how much I owe Sony. And it was almost like, it was like a million dollars. Right. That's how much his, him as a business, as an artist was in debt to the label. Mm-hmm. So a word of warning to all of us. Sure. No, I know. I've heard a lot of those stories where people still owe money and, and they always will. Like it, it'll never go away. You know, it's yeah. like a college loan from hell. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it, let's see in this, these, these seven tracks of these seven, like, did you, did you go in and record a lot of them live and then overdub? Like how much of like, what did you, you know, some of them have drums, some of them don't, obviously it doesn't apply as much to the songs with, with drums. But, right. Um, does that, do you record live and then overdub? Or do yeah, you try usually to do as, much as, possible? as much live as we can, you know, depending on the circumstances, that's usually the idea. It's like if we can get everybody doing it live, but often there's constraints, you know, only so many people can fit in a bathroom, you know, so only so many mics in a, in a house, whatever it is. So usually we'd kind of get, you know, drums and guitar live maybe, or drums, guitar, and piano, um, and then kind of overdub the rest. Yeah. Pro Tools or other nonlinear recording environments is very dangerous for that because you can, it's not unlimited, but it might, I mean, maybe now it is, but it's, it, might as, it might as well be. Yeah. And, you know, you, you start, that's when you start going all Phil Spector on it and thinking, you know, wouldn't another 
wouldn't a stereo tambourine sound great on this track? And then yeah. the next thing you know, you've got six tambourines on playing in varied beats, and it makes mixing hell too. It does, yeah. I that's the thing. I think you think you realize you start doing this, and you realize it's best to kind of not to to, to let it be as simple as possible because you end up suffering for it later when you're mixing anyway. So, and it doesn't sound as sexy to say, you know, it used to be like you know, no one to put down the the brush when you're a painter, but like when, when now it's it sounds terrible, but you have to learn when to let go of the mouse. Right, because it's all my, it's it's sad, but it's it's a mouse now. It's just like true. Uh, just like everything else. Yeah, yeah. From, from sex to music <laughs> to it's all recipes, mice. it's all the mouse. It's all mice. So let's digress from that. Um, you're a guy. I've I, I I respect your writing and always have. You know, you're someone who from the tradition of people who really really value the song as art, the arc of the song, implication of things without coming out and saying what you're trying to say. You know, you, you you strike me as a devotee of Towns Van Zandt, of sure. you know Bob Dylan, sure. of guys in that ilk, and so tell me, you know, this is about you specifically as the author, because you you're the one who penned all these tracks, right, yeah. on the record. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, tell me about your writing process, and this may sound like a daft question, but for this is almost for like the person who doesn't know anything about music. Is it for you? Is it it's it's like is it music first? Then you add lyrics and a melody, or do you like hum a melody walking down the street and go home and pick up your guitar? Do you wake up the songs in your head? What's your process? Yeah, I know I'm tempted to make snide comments about like excessive drugs, but I won't. I'll be honest. Uh, well, if honest means excessive <laughs> drugs, then that's what you should only, say. Only occasionally, usually it doesn't. Um, no, usually usually it starts with lyrics for me. Usually I, 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 a lyric will kind of strike me. I don't, I, you know. I don't know. I don't know how somehow it does, and something sticks, and I think, oh, this is worth kind of paying attention to. And um, if I can kind of get a lot of lyrics going pretty fast, I'll kind of get the music going with it. And I'll. I usually find if I do it, if I get it done pretty quickly, and I'm happy with it, I'll keep going. And if 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 I'm working and it's not happening, every once in a while I'll have to really really labor over something, you know, for weeks. And but usually I kind of get pretty far with it because it it strikes. Do you have a paper journal? That you write things in, or do you, do you use a laptop or a combination of the two? Yeah, I just write stuff in notebooks, I guess. I don't carry one around like, you know, a, a, a moleskin or whatever, um, but I write stuff down when, it, you know, when something. Was it Bono or Springsteen that lost their laptop on a flight? Oh, God. And it had know. like their, whole, had their, next, whole, their whole next album, like, was all penned out on it. And I'm not sure if I hope it was Bono. I mean, God bless him. But I, <laughs> whichever it would, I don't know if they ever got it back, but that would be heartbreaking. Yeah, that I mean. would be devastating. Yeah, I know. I know. No. So, Let's, um, I want to ask you one more question and I want to play another track from the record and then we'll get you playing live here in just a little bit after that because you've brought your guitar. I'm very happy to see it's a guitar that I loved. I've played it myself. Enjoy it. Um, you know, people, you know, when you're a musician, you know, everyone's like, they come up to you after the show. Oh, dude, you sound like X. Right. Who, you know, and, and, and you... I'm always flattered, of course, especially if, well, if they get it right, you know. Right. Um, but like when my first record came out, everyone everyone was like, you sound like Michael Stipe. You sound like R.E.M., which is something I don't dislike R.E.M., but I never in a million years would have guessed that that's what I would wind up sounding like. So for you, what do people tell you that you sound like or your band when right. you play shows or when they hear your record? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Towns Van Zandt certainly has come up. Christofferson has come up. That's my favorite one to get because I just love that guy. Uh, That's Chris Christofferson. Chris Christofferson. Younger, uh, yes, Chris generation. Christofferson, the actor. Um, the musician. <laughs> and uh, 
Tom Petty, someone said, which is always great. Bob Dylan, come, you know, I mean, not that I consider myself in league with any of these people, but at least I'm obviously ripping them off fairly successfully. Right. Well, what are the, what's the phrase? Uh, flat, uh, imitation is the ultimate form of flattery. Yeah, certainly. So let's play another track from the record. Uh, the record is eponymous. It is called The Coles. Uh, where is it available? Oh, it's called Bring Your Love on Back. Oh, is it? Is yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, so it's not eponymous. Let's yeah. Bring Your Love on Back. That's the title track, exactly. which we played just a few moments ago. Yes. Um, so... It's on iTunes. You can find it's it on, on iTunes. iTunes. It is, yes. Okay, and it's under the Coles? The Coles, C-O-A-L-S, like the mining, like the, the rock. Yeah, like, like, exactly. There's all kinds of connotations with that. Exactly. And that's named after a bar? Well, it's, yeah. At some point, we were, an earlier incarnation of the band was was the Coles after the downtown Los Angeles bar called Coles, where uh, me and my former bandmate used to play back when it was uh, kind of a dangerous skid row you know, kind of kind of ghetto hangout, but they had a beautiful back room in the back of this bar that anyone who's been there knows exactly what I'm talking about, but most people haven't. Um, but it was like stepping into the to the 30s. It was gorgeous. The acoustics were perfect. You didn't need mics. You didn't need anything. And we played like every week just for basically ourselves and a few like homeless guys who'd show up. Um, so we had to like rename our band and we called it The Coles. But then we found out in a very spinal tap way that there already was a Coles. So we just changed the spelling of Cold. Oh, C-O-L-E-S it was originally? Exactly. Band names, it's this topic. I, it just, I can't stand that it's product. It's ridiculous, yeah. It sounds so easy to, to someone who's not a musician, but, I mean, the hours I've spent sketching out ideas and then, you know, going to the internet and finding out that there's already a guy. We wanted to be called Hoss at one point because my grandfather used to call me Hoss as a kid. Hey, Hoss, how are you doing? And there was there's a guy in the Carolinas. He has one arm. And he's Hoss, <laughs> the one-arm guitar-playing man. Wow. And with that, let's play the second track. This is a track uh, for, maybe we'll dedicate this to Hoss. Absolutely. This, uh, is, this is a Hoss. song called Only a Fool. You want to just tell me just a little bit about this track? Maybe just sure. what, what it's about, where it was recorded, anything at all? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's about, oh, it's just sort of uh, kind of uh, guilt, guilt about maybe screwing up relationships when you maybe shouldn't. Um, and it was recorded in Eagle Rocket at uh, Jack Arkey, was the... Uh, the engineer producer, um, and with uh, kind of with a band, Doris Bailey on keys, and let's see, Andy Tab was singing harmonies. Doris is also singing harmonies. Uh, Colonel J R Kurtz was on the drums, and any relation uh, to what the guy from Apocalypse? Now? Well, I really call him Colonel. He's, he's not really, yeah, yeah. Maybe he is a descendant. He's 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 a nutty guy, and uh, I sang and I played guitar and I played the bass too. Okay, this is uh, Independence Day, every Wednesday night, 7, 8 p.m. on Lancer Radio. Our guest tonight, Jason Mandel. This is his band, The Coles, playing Only a Fool. Nobody knows what they're searching for till they find it. Under the willow tree Watching the sunrise behind it When it looks like you lose and you win Then troubles start over again Only a fool would find love And try to deny Everything fortune keeps spinning around 
starts to rust and your dreams turn to dust when you're down. When it feels like you're losing your mind, then someone will only be kind. Only a fool would find love, try to disguise it. Jason Mendel and his band, The Coles, the track Only a Fool, which you will find on their record. It's an extended, extended play, seven-track record, somewhere between an EP and a full-length album. Uh, the album may be a dying art, but this is definitely a piece of art. The record, the record is called Bring Your Love On Back, and it's available on the iTunes, which is on the Internet. It's pretty easy to find that. Uh, Jason, tell me just a little bit. You said there was someone else you wanted to mention from that track that you didn't mention before. Yes, I forgot to mention Ben Peeler, who played pedal steel, who was very generous to show up kind of last minute and played beautifully. So, How did you hear of him? Uh, I can't remember. I, I just see he plays with a lot of people around town. I don't even know who first, but at some point I realized he was playing half the pedal steel I was listening to. So yeah. we needed someone, and he was available. He's a session Great. cat. He's, he's, he is. He's who else busy. is he? Do you know who else off the top of your head who he's renowned for playing with or like, but like any big sessions? I don't want, I know, like, if I misspeak, I'll embarrass myself. So no, I can't remember exactly who, but a lot of people. Yeah, there's, for, for, for people who aren't musicians, like every, every big town, Chicago, New York, L.A., Nashville, uh, Austin, there's kind of what they call a call list of musicians. Like when you do sessions, you know, there are people who are such good musicians and they can command such a high dollar for their skills that maybe they'll go out on the road, but only if someone like Mark Knopfler calls them and offers them $75,000 for a three-month tour. So there's these guys, and sometimes girls, they're on this call list. Like in L.A., the biggest pedal steel guy is probably, his name is Greg Leitz, and he plays with Ray Lai Montaigne a lot these days. Um, but the list of people that he's played with is... Endless. Is endless. Yeah. You know, it's... And every every town has this list. Nashville's renowned for it because country is is country is such a big deal in the machine of Nashville. Um, it's this call list is a really big deal, and these guys fight for their places on. I mean, it's not literally a list, but they're made. Everyone knows what it is. You know, there's not like a piece of paper in someone's right. studio, but everyone knows what it is. Used to say Rolodex, now it's iPhone, but everybody knows it in L.A. Paul Franklin, number one guy in pedal steel. You know, I don't know what the other guys are in other instruments. I probably used to know, but I don't know anymore. Right. So anyway, yeah. So. 
you know, your music is very, it's reminiscent of, you know, I don't want to say Southern California, but it does have that kind of organic, like Neil Young in 1972 feel. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, I, I love that stuff. And, and the band that kind of sort of spawned this band, which was this duo, me and a guy named Sutter, we kind of really bonded over a kind of love of, of, of that, like, kind of late 60s, early 70s, kind of California country rock stuff. Graham um, Parsons. Yeah, we totally, like, that's literally why we started talking is a mutual love of Graham Parsons. Yeah, the, yeah. These, are, these, are the, these are the artists who were, like, the precursors to the Eagles, and then the Eagles took it to the bank. <laughs> you know, Graham did okay, but then died. Right, exactly. <laughs> Far too young. Exactly. Uh, in the Joshua Tree Inn, out in Joshua Tree. But there was a whole scene, and, you know, there was a period there where, like, didn't Randy Meisner play with... Um, Maybe. Some of the guys from the Eagles actually kind of played with those guys. It was a whole scene. But, right. you know, your stuff is not as breezy as, like, Jackson Brown. Like, his stuff is, like, to me, it's, like, leaning a little bit more towards, like, James Taylor, which mm-hmm. is fine, but that's a New England kind of thing in its own breezy-ish kind of way. Mm-hmm. So your stuff is earthier to me. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say richer, but to me it seems more rich than something like Jackson Brown would be. Well, he's richer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Touche. Richer than all of us. Uh, so let's see. Where we go for this next? So, uh I'm going to have you play live here in just a second, but first I want to talk about, I've got this theory that where you grow up has a big effect on your music or your musical education. Um, maybe formally, maybe not formally, but I know you're not from LA. No. But what, you know, do you, do you think that it did have an effect? Where did you grow up first? I grew up in the suburbs of, of New York, about in like uh, 45 minutes from New York City in a, in a very kind of... Uh, Which direction? North. So along the Hudson? Yeah, like up by I mean, Cold Spring, not Poughkeepsie. A, no, uh, south of there, like, and not 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 too close to the river, but yeah, not far from the okay. Hudson. Yeah, yeah, okay. not as bucolic as some of those parts of of the Hudson Valley. Not the Mad Men uh, <laughs> suburbs, <laughs> right? Ex- well, probably, maybe. I never watched that show, but it might be the Mad Men suburbs. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. So, but do you, I mean, do you think that, I mean, growing, like, where, it it seems, you know, idiosyncratic to think that you grew up in the suburbs of New York in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s, whatever. Yeah. And yet you found this, like, beacon of light in someone like Graham Parsons. You know, did that draw you to Southern California? No, it didn't, actually. Um, The sunshine drew me to Southern California. And I don't know why uh, the music of, I mean, I really was into sort of Southern, you know, a lot of blues for a long time, as, I mean, almost as long as I can remember, and it had no relationship to to my hometown or to that sort of region. So I don't know where that comes from. I honestly, I mean, I mean, was it? But where did you hear from Graham? Like, how did you first Graham, hear? Because he wasn't, he didn't have airplay in that era. No, I never heard. I didn't hear about him until I was in college. Actually, in fact, I heard about him from my friend Jack, who recorded a bunch of these songs. I was house sitting for him once. Uh, I was in college, and he had this kind of really cool apartment. Tell me, it was on vinyl. Um, no, it wasn't on vinyl. It wasn't that cool. Um, <laughs> but he had a cool apartment and he had a cool sort of a bunch of CDs. And one of them was actually a tribute album to Graham Parsons, which they put out. It must have been in like the 90s because like Sheryl Crow was on it. I have a friend who played on that record. Really? Who guy, he actually played on my record, a guy named John Piricello. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a pedal steel guy, but he plays on the Keith Richards track. Oh. He actually has a, because that record won a Grammy. So my friend John, John Piricello, has a Grammy, you know, circuitously at least, from playing with Keith Richards. That's he has awesome. funny stories about, because uh, he stayed at Keith Richards' house in Connecticut. 
and he has these funny stories of waking up to Keith Richards like making him eggs <laughs> in that's his a, house. That's just a dream. I know you you can't write material like that. No, you know that's, that's something that just kind of has to happen to you by happenstance in your life. Sure, yeah, that's so beautiful. I see you've got a, a beautiful guitar, a, a dreadnought guitar here in the studio, and I would love for you to play us something. All right, uh, something live here. This is one of the things we really try to feature on Independence Day, which is the show you know where we talk about just the, the making of music, how the music business changed or has changed and is continuing to change. And, you know, one thing that I like that you can bring us is that it's still made with a person and a guitar or a person and a keyboard. You know, I mean, you can do it on your iPad now, but lots of people still do it this way. Um, and this is one thing I respect about what you do. And tell me a little about what you're about to play and then, uh, and then play it. What song? Yeah, What's the name of the song? It's called "Hand to Hold." Um, it's uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, um, and uh, I'll just play it. All right. This is Jason Mendel on Independence Day. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. Angel, I've been talking slow. Or do you try to make my mind up The further I'll decide to go Well you didn't get what you wanted Now the night is getting cold And it's time to find another hand to hold Everybody needs a shoulder to cry on But honey my back is broke Didn't I carry you when you stumbled Listen every time you spoke well, the sun will shine tomorrow and the ashes turn to gold But it's time to find another hand to hold In the cruel light of day I've a mind to turn you away What can I say? from an empty cup Well I ain't going down like I used to trying to lift this heavy load Cause it's time to find another hand to hold Alright Jason Mendel Thank you very much That was very very nice Very uh very Dylan-esque, and I noticed that you're using, for those of us who, all of you, I guess, who can't see what he's doing, he's using actually metal finger picks, which is a very, uh, it's a very unique way to play the guitar. There's only a few people who do that. It's not a very, you know, I remember going into the record store as a kid, or in the music store as a kid, where I was taking my lessons, and there was a whole box of them, because it used to be more prevalent in, in, in olden times. <laughs> so, Back in the 1600s. Why, why, I, I find like I'm, I'm, I'm wearing gloves when I wear those. Do you, I mean, how did you start using them? Just for more volume, or for more accuracy, or yeah, why? I, I, I honestly have no I can't remember and I don't use them often in fact I think that's the only song that I use them for but yeah. for that song uh, and I uh, yeah I, I think it just gets more clarity because it's so sort of it's kind of a gentle picking thing and I think yeah. I just wanted it to be louder I guess I don't I'm not very good with them I don't use them much but you know but it sounds fine it sounds very good I like the song a lot yeah. so uh, let's see where do we go from here um, one thing that it, honestly it fills my heart with joy honestly you know, gushing to see that people are still making music like this. 
uh, you know, with the prevalence of, you know, I watched the, like the rise of DJs when I was in bands, you know, in high school, you know, we would always try to get gigs like playing at sorority houses and playing at fraternity parties and playing sock hops. And we were competing with people with records and tapes and CD players and, it was it just made it even harder so you know and then once the technology became more and more prevalent you know guys you know DJs have become new rock stars you know when I saw Radiohead in Chicago a few years ago the opening act was a disc jockey mm-hmm. and it it felt weird to me I mean it's it's my generation I guess but it just felt very strange to see someone it, it's it, it still doesn't look cool to me <laughs> and no matter how cool their hair is or what kind of sunglasses they're wearing to see a guy like scratching a record back and forth. And this is indicative of a lot of things, I guess, and that's fine. Call it grampification, call it whatever you want. But I do notice this. When you go to a party with a guitar, the chicks still listen. (laughs) And they still gravitate towards you because you can't, I mean, if, if there's a DJ at the party, that's something else entirely, that's some gear. You know, they still can't tuck their Techniques 1200 underneath their arm right? and then just show up and start scratching. You show up with your guitar and a harmonica You've, you know, you've got an audience. I've, I'm going to the wrong parties, apparently. <laughs> Maybe you are. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I yeah, I, I think I'm just as old fashioned. I, I, I love, uh, I love being the guy with the guitar. I love watching the guy with the guitar. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to die yet. I think we got a little while. I, I don't think so at all either. Gibson, uh, the the electric guitar, well, the guitar manufacturer, eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, tried to make a guitar that had an Ethernet cable. For a cable instead of a regular quarter-inch guitar cord, <laughs> and I was—I I remember seeing that and just thinking, other than the fact that it's stupid, like, you know, my Ethernet cable breaks constantly. Right. Rock and roll is a rough and tumble universe. Yeah, it's not going to last. People long, tripping that cable. that cable. I'd say halfway through the first song yeah. of any given gig, that would just—that would yeah poop def- the bed. Definitely would not be, make, Yeah, end of that. So uh, in in light of this, yeah, I, you said you've got another song. I would love you to play some more in the studio for us. Uh, this is another new-ish song, and you're going to also do the harmonica thing on this. I am. I this am. is the – go ahead and slip that on. I'll talk for a minute we, while you monkey with headphones and such. Um, he's going to do the Dylan thing, which I've, I've always – you know, it's, it's a skill. Did, 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 did doing this with the with the harmonica at the same time – like for me, it never even occurred to me that I couldn't do it. Like I could, I could just always play the two instruments simultaneously. It never it was. Is it something you had to learn how to do? I frankly like, and I'm not just being self-deprecating. I really don't do it often, and, and I'm still very much learning how to do it. In fact, I haven't even rehearsed this part. Make before. sure you've got those tight too. I'm not sure oh, that you. Thanks. Yeah. It, it will, it will I'm get borrowing it. Joe's for those of you who can't. All of you, I'm borrowing Joe's harmonica and harmonica holder kindly. Our lips, um, our lips are so close. Our lips are close. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, this is uh, this is an idea I had kind of uh, a couple of days ago to put some harmonica on this, but I didn't have the harmonica, so we're gonna find out how it works. And tell what's the name of the song, Jason? This is called July and I'm Gone. Jason Mandel on Independence Day. And I'm gone Don't wait for goodbye Or the end of the song it Might seem like a while, Lord But it won't be long 
April, May, June, July, and I'm gone. And if I should tell you that I've been a fool, my heart was on fire while I was plenty cool. And your lips were so easy to kiss late at night. I didn't do you wrong, but I didn't do you right And everything's born, everything dies Baby, that still ain't no reason to cry April, May, June, July, and I'm gone I ain't quitting you, babe, I'm just carrying on Well, maybe I'm weak or maybe I'm strong April, May, June, July, and I'm gone Jason Mandel on Independence Day. Very, very nice. Again, very, very Bob Dylan, which isn't a bad thing to be. Yeah, if you're going to steal some from someone. <laughs> it's exactly right, man. If you're going to steal a car, man, why why would you steal a Celica? Exactly, exactly. So, yes, very, very nice. Are you? How much are you writing these days? I mean, I, I know that you're you're kind of just off the boat. You spent the last how many months in, in New York? Uh, five or six, five or six months half a year, year or so. Yeah. So I this actually that that song is very new, evidenced by the fact that I screwed up some of it. Um, and uh, I never tell them, man. Yeah. No ever, they've never heard it before. They don't know the difference. It's true. You guys used to, yeah. Those guys in the booth, they knew. I can tell. Um, that's the first song I wrote. Uh, I've written in a while, actually. So yeah, it, that that one it was another one where I I, I like the lyric. I like the the months and the leaving, and I kind of like went from there, and 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 it, it stuck. Yeah. There's some nice mechanics in there. Like there's little songwriting things I noticed you were doing where you'd kind of skip ahead. Like you drop a chord here or there, or drop a bar more appropriately here or there, which is a great, great trick, especially as the song gets on. Yeah. And when you because it's it's so hard to be captivating with just a voice and a guitar. I've done so many gigs like that, and if you're not Bob Dylan and all of us but one aren't, 
it's it's hard to do that. It's not, it's not that so much that we're imitating him, but it's like it's it's what we love to do, and it's it's just hard to be captivating. So you have to find little ways to tweak the song a little bit so that the people who are paying attention uh, can get that out of it. And mm-hmm. you, again, you do an exemplary job of doing yes, so. Thanks. Thank you. So, um, who? How old were you when you first started playing? guitar like was this something some people pick it up late buddy miller picked it up very very late really um but some people start you know eddie van halen i can remember they, they said he was playing at like four or something like that how about right you? uh i think i i convinced my my parents to buy me a little you know nylon string when i was like really young i think i was seven or something like that was it I, was it like a shrunken it like was mini like three-quarter size guitar? I, probably yes it was yes it was it was it was child appropriate and uh i took one lesson and then quit <laughs> and then i think i didn't pick it up till i was like 15 and then i kind of rediscovered it it was sitting in a you know basement you know and yeah. uh then i kind of like couldn't be you know no one could take me away from it at that point and how long between like because there's that period where you know you, your parents like they throw you a bone you know because i've watched my brothers and sisters go this through this with their kids and friends too where you know the kids like going crazy for the saxophone or whatever it is and then you give it to them and then they do pretty much exactly what you did and exactly what I did which is like take like four lessons and I since I couldn't they were making me play Jimmy Cracked Corn instead of like you know the monkeys or whatever (laughs) Jimi Hendrix that I was trying to play and so you know into the closet it went and then as soon as it I realized I could use it to get girls (laughs) it came right back out and that's when that's that's the phrase you know that's the phase in my life where I played like four hours a day right all through high school yeah um yeah, I was pretty obsessed for a while, definitely. Uh, I would, but, like, sit yeah. in my bedroom and, you know, play guitar. So, but I guess the question is, like, how long between when you pulled it back out that you got, like, a, like a decent instrument? Like, you started, you went back to that nylon string, but surely there was a point at which, did you, did you buy the next one yourself? Did your parents, like... No, I think the next, yeah, my parents bought me, like, a, a squire, you know, a squire, a black and white Strat squire, Fender squire, um... And uh, Squire being sort of the the, the entrance entry model right, into well, the, guitars, it's, it's, well, it's like the Honda to Fender's Lexus, exactly, or Acura rather. I'm sorry, Lexus, Toyota's Lexus. But uh, yeah, it's 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 like a starter ish guitar, probably yeah. better than the nylon, and undoubtedly. But yeah, and it was electric, so that was a big. You, you know, can make a lot that more. That was racket. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Little tiny amp too. Yeah, little amp, little amp, and I, yeah, I I I, I love that thing. I had a little Gorilla. It was 50 watts supposedly. But it was like little tiny 112 thing, but it would burp every time you turned it on. <laughs> right. And I remember, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, you know, you don't know any better. Like I would, I would take this thing. It was 50 watts, and my, the bass player I was playing with had a custom-made 418 cabinet, which is a big giant speaker bin that had. He was a bass player that had four 18-inch speakers in it, which is like a. That's what you'd have at a club, right? For like the low bass for like a dance club. And he had this custom-made cabinet, but I would plug my. You know, we both plug in at the same time because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it sounds like the '60s, but it was what you did. And I would play my guitar through that 418 cabinet, which sounded terrible. Sure. And he would play his Rickenbacker bass through it at the same time. Yeah, it sounds horrible. And uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, that band didn't go very far. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. What do we got next up? I, I want to do something. This is something I've been thinking about doing for a while, and this is going to involve Valentino, who's our uh, illustrious engineer tonight. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how a song grows and changes through the writing process. You know, like, um, would keep, hold on, just hold on to the guitar for just a second. You can take the, now what, do you need to use the capo for No One Loves You? Uh, no, I don't. Play like, just like 10, 10 seconds of the song. Sure. Just, this is a song uh, that's on the, uh, the Coles EP record. 
uh, and it's called No One Loves You. And we're going to talk about just how the song grew and changed. Like when you first started playing it, it probably sounded a lot like this. Like, so just if you would. Sure. No one loves you like I love you, honey, you don't even know. Okay, yeah, so first verse, you know, that's that's kind of how you get started, and you sit around, and I'm imagining your coffee table, and I'm imagining an ashtray, and I'm imagining, <laughs> you know, your pen, and I'm imagining a late night, so that's, that's how they usually start. Right. So, and now, if, if Valentina, if you would, go ahead and go ahead and start. This is the, a demo they did probably four years ago, maybe? Yeah, about that. A different key. It, it's yeah, up. It's it sounds like it's up, up about a half, half step. Yeah. No one loves you like I love you. Yeah, just couldn't keep it in. So this, so this is the, this is a demo they did, and you know, if you listen to the tone of the guitar, we're gonna let it maybe get up to the the pre-chorus part. So you can get a feel for what, what these. You guys did this on your own? Yeah, just in my living room, I think. What did you record it to? What on to what? Taped off all the four tracks. Like a cassette. A cassette tape. It sounds nice yeah. for a cassette. Yeah, Sutter's a good engineer. Okay, here comes the chorus. Well, let, let's let's let the chorus go past here. With you. Nice dominant seventh chord. Okay, and we can probably fade that out. Okay, so that is the song No One Loves You, and that is a demo recording. And for the, again, for those of you who are uninitiated, when you're a musician, they come up with an idea for a song. One of the first things they do is demo it, which makes it you know, like a demonstration track of it. So you, a lot of people more and more are doing that at home because you can do the whole thing on your laptop. Back when I was in high school, it was a cassette four track, which is a thing that allows you to record one track, one pass on a recording, and then go back and add other things on top of it. Again, it's all called overdubbing. And, you know, we could do four tracks, sometimes eight at home. If we were really cool, you could do more, but if you were wealthy from the other <laughs> side of the town that I lived on. So they did this, you know, you and Sutter did that in your living room, just on a, just with whatever mics you had laying around. And was it, there's some overdubs on there, right? Yeah. Then we, we had our friend Morris Smiley, uh, who, who, who I love, uh, sang uh, harmony on that as well. So, okay. Yeah. So now let's bring in, this is this is the actual track that's on the new record. This is the song. This is the same song. The song is called No One Loves You. Same artist. This is Jason Mandel and his band, The Coles. And this is what it sounds like on their new record. Much brighter. Is this, is this out here? This is in Texas. No Texas. one loves you like I love you. Honey, this is a it's a more assured vocal know. performance. You know, you probably had a you had a producer around. Yep, a lot of people hanging around. And here comes the chorus. Tell me how the words don't Little percussion organ. Is that Sarah? That's Sarah Watkins, yeah. So we get the Leslie going around. For those of you who have the stereo field, you can hear the slow Leslie going back and forth from side to side. Okay, so that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what, you know, how a song grows. You know, and this song, you know, this song is, um, it's, it's, a, it's a quieter song, so there's not a whole lot to even add. You know, you wouldn't, you could feasibly add drums and things to that, um, but that's probably about what that song needs. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, we actually had a, we had we had a bit of a a bit of a, a, a discussion about whether to uh, we actually recorded drums and bass and bass for that. So oh, I wish somewhere you, I wish you would have brought that version. somewhere there is there is a version. Yeah, um, but um, I think I think it works nicer without it. I think the percussion is 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 enough. And that's where I mean, and that's where the art of a producer comes in because a producer is someone that either the label pays or the band pays they bring someone in to kind of be the arbiter of what is re- things are really going to end up sounding like and it's a role that a lot of people don't really you know it's different from in movies in a movie's a producer I mean they do have creative input but a lot of times they're just throwing money at a project mm-hmm. you know Danny DeVito I know has gotten a lot into producing in the movie business and he brings in a big wheelbarrow of cash mm-hmm. and then because he brought in a big wheelbarrow of cash he gets to say I don't think that taxi should stop there, or right. I don't think that Matthew McConaughey should take off his shirt in the scene, right. or, or, or maybe, maybe he should be in maybe, this movie at all. <laughs> maybe he should take it off twice in the scene. Right. But in the, in the record business, you know, a producer is someone. You know, a lot of times the label will pay them, and they, you know, it's, it's a more delicate thing. The band has to trust the producer, and that's that kind of trust between them. Hopefully that brings out the best in an artist, you know, and it's hard when, as a producer, as someone who's produced records, to gain that trust from an artist because it's a very delicate process. Mm-hmm. So did you, who, who produced this? That was Dave Palmer. Who's, and did uh, you, did you pr- trust him in terms of this? I mean, sure. How, how was your working I mean, relationship? It, it's, it's like with any producer, you know, especially because we had no prior working relationships. So um, we were kind of introduced to Dave and we all went down to Texas and made a record. And uh, yeah, it is a very delicate thing. And, and, I, and I've been through a few, of, a few delicate things. And it's, it's hard. It's very complicated. It's very, um, a lot of kind of stars have to line up. And, and um, you know, artists can certainly be really uh, sensitive and, and, and overly sensitive and no. get in their own way. Yeah, I know this is news to everyone out there listening. And uh, and then sometimes you know they're and sometimes they're right <laughs> and sometimes they're wrong, <laughs> um, so it it can get uh, you know it can get tough. But, but. there are legendary stories. I mean, a, a, a great example is the Counting Crows first record, August and Everything After. T Bone Burnett is a multi multi platinum producer and even was by that point. Mm-hmm. And the the label brought him in to do this record. And you know they were a band. They were right out of the gate. They hadn't been together very long, but the songs were good. Adam Duritz, there was a lot of a lot of buzz in the industry about Counting Crows at that time. And he brought them up to a studio, or actually not even a studio. They went into a house in the Hollywood Hills because they're a Bay Area band, and brought them down here to get them out of their element, put them up in this house, brought the whole studio in, like everything. They rented everything, put them in this house, and then set about making this record. And his whole thing was, you know, less, less, less because as a young band young musicians always want to overplay and they play fast and they put too much on it and they want to throw everything onto this they're very excitable mm-hmm. and his whole thing was you know no no leave that out leave that out and they hated him they <laughs> wanted to kill him right because you know you're you're stripping away the essence of our band and they you know i don't think it came to blows but they were they had a very very strained working relationship right but look what happened they did pretty I mean, well they went <laughs> that, that, that album well. sold a lot, yeah. you know, and then T-Bone, just another big feather in his cap, went on to do the Wallflowers and the Raising Sand record with Alison Krauss and Robert Plant and, you know, the whole, um, not down from the mountain, the whole Brother Where Art Thou thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, you know, yep. the guy could, he could stop working now and just from the money, his production money, he could probably have a fine, fine living. Um, so the producer, it's, it's, you know, so, so now, so that was the, a Texas track. Now, something else you did out here, yeah. you know, did, did Chrysalis bring in a producer to finish those sessions too? Well, yeah, we, we sort of, we were writing some new songs and, and, uh, we, we, we met, uh, this guy, Mike Daly, who used to, was in Whiskey Town, the band Whiskey Town with Ryan Adams. And now it's what, what did he play? He was a guitarist mostly. He wrote songs with them as well. Um, and he's gone on to be, become a producer, so he was into the stuff and, and so he rounded up another guy, Michael Beinhorn, who's uh, 
probably best known for producing like Soundgarden and the Chili Peppers and kind of bands like that um, and, and Soul Asylum. And, um, so those guys kind of teamed up. They decided they wanted to kind of make a go at, at kind of an EP for us. Um, so, that, so yeah, so we went to Burbank to Mike's studio and did a bunch of tracks there, some, a couple of which are on the album that we've been playing. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was a... And Chrysalis has been financing this this whole thing? Very kindly and, and to their own detriment right now. <laughs> so do you... Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Do you... Uh, so, you know, having just rolled off the boat from New York again probably three or four weeks ago back yeah. in L.A., you know, are you going to start playing shows sometime soon? Or? Yeah, w- there's going to be a show uh, March 24th at Three Clubs um, in Hollywood, uh, which will be some kind of iteration of the Coles. Um, not sure how many people yet. And uh, we're looking at another one in April too. So um, yeah, do can... they does does Chrysalis help you out with booking too? Mm, not really. They they I mean through through uh, Dave Palmer, the producer, one of the producers we worked with, we got hooked up with Largo, where we were playing for a while, which is like a personal dream of mine. So it was really exciting. We we actually I think the highlight was we played a show in their little room. They have two rooms at Largo. Um, we played in the little room, and then. A couple hours later, Gillian Welch and David Rawlings played. So in theory, we opened for them. I'm not sure they realized we opened for them. <laughs> you you sang into the same mic. You shared the same exactly, stage. Exactly. And one thing, I, this is one thing, again, that I've always respected about what you've done as an artist is that you've, I don't think I've ever seen you play a show. Now, granted, you guys always pretty much play acoustic guitars back when you had Sutter and even yeah. now without him. Mm-hmm. You didn't plug in your guitar to a pickup live that I've ever seen you do. Yeah. So you do Gillian Welch and David Rawlings. They're a Nashville-based act. Best known probably for work from that T-Bone Burnett produced project, the Coen Brothers movie, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, but they do kind of a, almost like a, well, definitely a pre-70s country kind of thing. They record in Nashville. They're, I remember they one time they, they told a funny story to show about playing. They recorded an album. They wanted to do it in mono because that's the way artists did records back in the early 60s. There was no stereo yet. The guy, it hadn't even, it didn't even exist. So they wanted to do this really, really revisionist thing where they recorded an album in mono. And then when they presented it to the record label, they were like, you know, who, who they had a good relationship mm-hmm. with. Said, okay, yeah, yeah, we did this like the olden days in mono. And they said, well, you, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. It has to be in stereo. Go back and remix it in stereo. So they took it back and set the tapes on the counter. And then maybe a week or two later, took back and said, here, it's in stereo, and didn't change a thing, and put the record out. I think that's the time the Revelator Yeah, it must Revelator be. Album. It must be, because it sounds like... And, like, it's, and it's, it sounds fantastic. It's, yeah, it's an incredible album. Yeah. You know, sometimes the suits, you know, we're all at their mercy, and they, they think they know what's best, and I'm not sure that they do. Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely a, a couple of people who kind of forge their own path, and they, yeah. they do it well. Art and commerce. But to, to bring it back, one thing that they do... At their shows, now granted, there's just two of them. You right. know, they play guitar, a little banjo, and just two voices. I've seen them play live a few times, but they they never plug in their instruments. They never use pickups of yeah. any kind. They only use microphones, and they don't even use fancy microphones. Just regular Shure SM57s and 58s right off the shelf. Yeah, and it sounds it's one of their shows in Chicago at the Park West was one of the most amazing concerts I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I know. I saw them at uh, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, yeah. which is a big San Francisco. Yeah, I was up there this October. It yeah. was fantastic. And they're they're amazing. And yeah, they're they they really do uh they do it very organically and that's a really cheesy word, but it really applies in that case. I don't think it's cheesy at all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very very real, mm-hmm. which is something, you know, that some musicians strive for, and I, and I certainly do, and, and we will on this show will be really striving to have musicians who are real and, and like really work on their craft and do what they do and really believe what they're doing. And, and, and I hate to say do it the way it was done always because what does that even really mean? Right. But at least 
Uh, it's, it's just real. We'll mm. leave it at that. Yeah. So why don't, what I'd like to do, we've got a little extra time tonight, I think, because of the, the basketball thing. We've kind of moved some things around a little bit. I want to play another track from the record. This is going to be, uh, Valentine's going to be track seven. Um, we're going to skip the, the, other, the other tune. And this is a song, uh, you know, when you, when you gave me the record so I could preview it for this show a couple weeks ago, you know, I listened to it at home a few times, and it was nighttime. And this particular song, the song is called Wanted a Lover, I Needed a Friend. And it really struck me as, you know, growing up when I did, you know, in the Great Lakes region, a guy, um, uh, what's his name, Edmund Fitzgerald guy. Yeah. Um, Why can I not think we of just, we were just I keep wanting to call him Engelbert Humperdinck, <laughs> but it's not him. It's this uh, is terrible. Uh, yeah, this is terrible. We're both having a He's Canadian. senile moment right and now. And Rick Moranis used to do an impression of him. I'll have to look it up. I'll look it up while I'm playing the track. But this uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Thank you. Gordon Lightfoot. Thank so, this, you. you know, he was a Canadian guy and did the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and Sun, Sundowns. Yeah. Right? Sundown. Yeah. Yeah. And this song, you know, it's the coolest song that Gordon Lightfoot ever didn't record. <laughs> and I mean that in the most, you know, a, the, the, with the highest compliment I can. But it's, it, you recorded it with this. There are some drums in it. You know, it's slow. It's it's very emotional. It's it's like a nighttime song. Mm-hmm. And did you write this in New York or was this before that? No, no, this was written a while ago. Yeah, because yeah. to me, this you know, I lived in New York too, and like living in New York made me write different songs. Different mm. songs came out of me. It was still me there, right? But different songs came out of me, just like playing a different guitar. Different songs come out of you. So this, it, it seems to have snuck in there, maybe just in the way it was recorded. But this is a song. Wanted a lover. I needed a friend from the Coles, the lead guy, writer in that band, Jason Mendel. He's with us live tonight on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is that track, and we'll talk with Jason some more after the song. Don't know how I got you But I got you so good I tried to release you As hard as I could When the moment is over It never returns Stand close to the fire You're gonna get burned I wish that I knew where this old road was headed Could somebody say how this dream's gonna end So hold me tonight and just tell me Down, babe. 
Jason Mandel and his band The Coles playing the track I Wanted a Lover, I Needed a Friend from their new-ish EEP, Extended Extended Play Record, Bring Your Love On Back, which is available on iTunes. Any brick-and-mortar stores at all? Uh, not that I know of. The funny thing is, I hate to say it, but it's almost irrelevant anymore. I know. It's... You know, you can you can go down to the records, like the indie stores, if you can find one that's open other than Amoeba, and like beg them to put it in the store. I mean, Amoeba would be a good place to have it. Yeah. Um, but even their shelf space is limited, and you might have to beg, and it, yeah. it, sometimes it's not worth it. I mean, that's, again, that kind of gets to the heart of what this show is about. The, the industry has changed so much, even in my, our, our lifetimes, even you know, younger artists' lifetimes, that there are new ways to do everything, new yep. ways to record the music, new ways to distribute the music, new ways to do everything. And, you know, we're trying to find that sweet spot because I don't think the industry has settled down yet as to what it's going to be. I mean, nobody really knows how to monetize it. CD sales have plummeted and, and the online sales have not made that up yet. Right. And the this thing that's terrible, the thing that sucks is that artists are the ones, I think, getting the short end of that stick, not getting paid. Right. Right. So, all right. So you you have your guitar here in studio. We've we've played some tracks from the record. We played a couple tracks live, and I'd love you you play another track here live for us. This is a song also that's on that record. This is yes, yes. What's the song it's called? It's called Painted Rose. Anything in particular this is about? Um, I guess it's about a woman, aren't they all? Yes, they are, Jason. So this is Painted Rose, Jason Mendel on Independence Day. You say you're tired of my sad songs And you want to hear something happy Well, happiness, it sounds alright But it don't sound like the night And that's what's true If you belong to me Maybe I'd tell a different story Talking between the shadows, baby, right now 
all I'm gonna do You're a painted rose Along a dusty desert highway You're a star that sings through nighttime's purple skies But never falls You're a headlight on the road To days of autumn rays and better dreams And you take my mind Like it's nothing at all I know you got somewhere to go I know there's others calling for you But when I call, I call like this Honey, won't you listen when I do? So go out in the night Ain't that what's right and makes me sorry But I still got a friend or two To listen to the tale I tell you Your painted rose Along a dusty desert highway You're a star that sings through nighttime's purple skies But never falls You're a headlight on the road To days of autumn rays and better dreams And you take my mind Like it's nothing at all Tired of my sad songs And you want to hear something happy Well, happiness, it sounds alright But it don't sound like the night And that's what's true That's beautiful, Jason. Thanks, Joe. I like that a lot, man. Thank you. I think what I like most about that track uh, is the first line, which, of course, comes back around towards at the end there. Uh, you know, many... Uh, Many a person, uh, not the least of which my girlfriend, tells me that I only like sad, depressing music. Yeah. So I, I know exactly what you're getting <laughs> at when you write that song, and I can almost I can picture the conversation you're having mm. with another girl. Right. That's funny. <laughs> fantastic. That's fantastic. So this is, uh, again, this is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. We are on Lancer Radio, which is 89—no, wait, <laughs> what are we? <laughs> we 
<laughs> thanks, Valentino. But thanks, Valentino. It, we don't go that far, so it's, I, I don't really tend to think. I mean, in terms of our broadcast, it doesn't go that far. So unless you're in Pasadena, this doesn't really make much of a difference. But unless you're on the internet. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. The broadcast oh, doesn't, but on the internet, which is where the you know the lion's share of our listening audience is, and I happen to know we've got some folks listening in the central time zone tonight, and thank you for that. Thank you to everybody who's listening tonight. But this is, uh, we'll be on Lancer Radio, streaming live at lancerradio.org every Wednesday night with different artists every week. Uh, we will talk about the music business, how it's changing, you know, why it's changing, what we're doing about you know, trying, to, trying to salvage what's left, uh, you know, pushing forward one way or another. Uh, so real quick, before we wrap up tonight, Jason, um, what uh, what's next? You know, you're back in L.A. You're going to put a band together, play some shows. Like, what's what's the goal? What's 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 happening? Yeah, get back into playing and, and writing more and uh, uh, finding a way to make people realize that there's an album on iTunes that they can buy. And I guess every musician now hopes that somehow, uh, you know, some kind of uh, television show is going to, you know, give them a bunch of money to use their song. But you kind of have to sit around and wait for that. So in theory, you think maybe you'll make money at some point. Maybe not. Um, but mostly, if I'm writing and playing with people I like, I'm I'm happy. So yeah. That's do you mean? Do you have any kind of like magic bullet whatsoever in terms of like you know? Because I am also on iTunes, but you know, it's just a big repository of stuff, and there's not even any hill to stand on anymore to say, hey, look at me. Like, how do you get people to? They just promote it at shows, I guess. I don't honestly. I think you'll have guests who will have answers for you. <laughs> I, I'm not one of them. Maybe that's the big question that we'll be getting at week to week and I see see who has the best answer, and then we'll all pull ourselves it. out of the mug. We'll all take that idea exactly. So again, uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. So thank you so very much, thank man. You, Joe. I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, I love your music. I love what you do. Don't ever stop doing it. Thank you. Um, it's and an honor just, to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you again. So, and you can learn, you guys, uh, you're on MySpace? You MySpace.com slash the Coles. C-O-L. C-O-A-L. So, I'm sorry, C-O-A-L. Yeah, we really dug ourselves a ditch with that one, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, the band thing, the band name thing is no matter what it is, it's not win. easy. You so, until it's on the side of a blimp or a bus or, right, you know, at the Grammys, God help us all, Right. <laughs> nobody will know what it is. So, this is Jason Mendel of the Coles, and it, it sounded great. Everything sounds great. And you're playing a show. March 24th. March 24th. Where three, exactly? Three clubs in Hollywood, which is, for some reason, not as well-known as some other venues, although I maintain it might have the best sound man and sound in Los Angeles. Even better than Largo. Okay, maybe second. Right. Well, <laughs> you're in a good position, man. You're playing both those venues, so congratulations to you on that. And we will have links on, uh, we've got a website that just went up today for Independence Day. It's joearmstrong.com slash ID, which is where you can learn about all things Independence Day. We'll be up updating you. Uh, there will be podcasts on there of prior episodes and, you know, who's coming up. Next week, incidentally, we have Brian Whelan of the band Wheelhouse. Used to be in a fantastic indie band called The Broken West. Um, tore up uh, the west side of the United States in a van playing a bunch of shows. Kind of that kind of fell apart. Got a new band together called Wheelhouse with some of those old members. I happened to see them play at the Echo last summer, and they've got a new thing going, and it sounds really, really great. Next week we'll have Brian Whelan. You can find out about that again, like I said, at joearmstrong.com slash ID. That's for Independence Day. And we have jumped into the wild and crazy world of Twitter. You can follow us. We are in-depth day, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y, in-depth day uh, at Twitter or however you do that Twitter thing. I don't even know how to. I can't figure it out. Grampification. Again, I don't even know how to say that, but sure. you kids can figure it out. 
So let's see here. Where is my wrap up here? So thank you very much, Jason Mendel of thank the Coles. Record sounds great. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Tapinski, and to Valentino Rivera and the uh, staff from Lancer Radio. Tuning in next week on Independence Day to hear the youngest musical journeyman in Los Angeles, the uber-talented Brian Whelan of Wheelhouse. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>